Hi everyone, Eric Chow here. I'm excited to present this special episode featuring a recording of a Facebook Live event where I, along with Emmy Namoro, interview Brett Powell on the topic of how to navigate difficult conversations. Navigating difficult conversations is an essential skill for missionary disciples, whether in ministry, the workplace, or in our personal lives. In this episode, Brett shares his insights and practical tips on how to approach difficult conversations with clarity, confidence, and compassion. I hope you enjoy this special episode of the Proclaim podcast to gain valuable insights on how to navigate difficult conversations. Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our Facebook Live conversation. Actually, it's not just Facebook we're, we're posting live to. We're streaming to YouTube as well. So wherever you're coming from, welcome. And uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us in this conversation, navigating difficult conversations. Uh, I hope that this isn't going to be a difficult conversation. <laughs> uh, but we're going to have some fun. Uh, I'm here with Emmy and Brett, and we're talking about difficult conversations. So uh, I noticed that in our Facebook group that we've had a lot of new members that have come on uh, in the last few weeks. Perhaps you heard about our group through uh, the Upper Room Conference, or someone invited you to join our group. So feel free to say hi to us and let us know that you're here, and we're so excited to have this conversation with all of you. So like I said, we're here to discuss navigating difficult conversations with Brett Powell. And I've known Brett for about 20 years as a friend, a colleague, and a supervisor. And over the years, I've had a few difficult conversations with Brett Powell. So I think that makes me a, a credible host to this conversation. And so I'm going to start by offering a couple of pro tips on how to have difficult conversations oh with God. Brett Powell. Oh, my. So I didn't know this was tip. coming. <laughs> this was not in the script. <laughs> This is off script. That's right. First pro tip with having difficult conversations with Brett Powell, bring him a coffee. Oh, Extra yes. hot with cream, not milk, cream. I think I got that right. Yes, you did. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so, And if you're going to bring any gifts to having this difficult conversation with Brett Powell, uh, bring some Lucky's Donuts. That might work. Yeah. Or if you're in a lot of heat, you might consider offering him something like the anniversary edition of his favorite movie of all time, Gladiator. That might go over really well. And I'm going to offer one final bonus pro tip. Don't ask him about his commute to work. That's not going to start your conversation very oh, well. Man. Okay? So, I feel known and loved. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> So pro tips for having difficult conversations with Brett Powell. See, I yeah. see that there's 17 people on here already, and they might all be here for that same reason. How do I have a difficult conversation <laughs> yeah, exactly. with Brett Powell? Okay. There's a theme. There you go. Okay, uh, I'm done joking around. Uh, we're here <laughs> to offer the conversation around navig navigating difficult conversations within our own relationships, within our own, uh, within our own communities, and with the people that we care for and love. Uh, we're going to deliver this in the style of an interview. So Emmy and I have some questions that we're going to ask, but really we want to hear about uh, some of the questions that you have for uh, for Brett and for us, and hopefully we can address some of those questions. So that's why uh, that's why we're encouraging you to 
like or, or comment in um, wherever you're at, whether it's in YouTube or on Facebook. I think you can do in both. I hope you can do it in both. I'm not the most technical, technologically understanding of, of our streaming, but hopefully you can get your, your, uh, your questions to us. All right. So uh, before we begin, uh, before Emmy asks the first question, I, I just want to offer some thoughts around how we might define a difficult conversation. And uh, some of the initial thoughts that I have when it comes to difficult conversations would be that, you know, when, when we have to have a conversation where there, there's a possible differing of opinions, I think that's, you know, one of the starting points that there's high stakes involved. You know, is it possible that I would lose a friend? Is it possible that, you know, this could turn into something ugly or that it could uh, sever or make uh, offer tension in the relationship? And could it in fact, you know, bring about high emotions, you know, areas of, um, you know, of our lives that could cause either fear or anger or, um, or hurt. Now, these are some of the things that all of us think about when we're about to have conversations with people when it comes to anything, really. Um, but for the sake of this conversation, uh, this being a proclaimed conversation, we're going to try to focus on having difficult conversations from a charismatic lens. And what that means is that we are looking to help people come to know and understand who Jesus is, uh, to fall in love with him, the opportunity to bring them to a closer relationship with God in right order. Um, and the difficult conversations can come in different ways and different topics. Um, but uh, we're just going to open it up and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm going to stop talking now. No more jokes from me on how <laughs> conversations with Rapal. Uh, Emmy, do you want to throw yes. our first question to, uh, to Brett? Okay, let's go. So first question is how do you prepare yourself for a difficult conversation? Okay, thanks, mm -hmm. Emmy. Um, maybe in the spirit of going off script, I guess the first thing, Eric, this came to mind when we were talking because we have to recognize the world in which we live um, is, is a world where every conversation has the potential to become difficult or to become an argument or even worse. You know, we've all had those experiences. Uh, social media has done some beautiful things in our world and uh, navigate or, you know, fostering polarization is probably not the most beautiful thing it's done, but it, it's evident. Um, you know, even the most trivial of issues and the things that we talk about and proclaim are not trivial issues. This is, you know, the majesty of the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus name and all those things. They're not trivial issues, but in our world, even trivial issues we have seen people fighting for and against on both sides and passionately mm -hmm. fighting, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess the reason why I'm saying that is just to recognize that that is the world in which we live. And one of the things about being a missionary disciple is that we can't interact with the world like thinking the world was what it was 50 years ago or thinking that it is something that we want it to be. We have to just be grounded in reality and recognize that we do live kind of in polarized times, right? There's very, very quickly conversations can kind of devolve into, into something like that. So that's just a bit of a disclaimer. Um, and Eric, I really like what you said, because, you know, the conversations that we're thinking of either having or have had or whatever, in particularly proclaim, I mean, these are conversations typically with people that we know. These are family members. These are friends. These are, you know, associates from work. And when we think about what makes those conversations difficult, whether we're introducing a spiritual topic, talking about the church or looking to find a, a bit of an end to bring faith into the conversation. There's two things that really make conversations difficult. The first is 
just the subject matter, what it is that we want to talk about. It can it can be awkward to bring Jesus name or it can be awkward to talk about the church, you know. Um, so just the subject matter would make maybe some of the conversations difficult just by nature. And I think the second part that makes it difficult is the state of the relationship. Um, and what I mean by that is that conversations are difficult when we fear that the bond we have, the bond of connection with the person that we're speaking to is not strong enough to sustain the nature of the conversation, right? So we get afraid of that conversation. Um, so that I think is important just as thrown out there is in terms of disclaimers. But I mean, I mean, you asked the question, what, what do you do to prepare for the conversations? And there's really three things I think I would say um, three areas that we need to prepare, um, three almost phases. The first would be just the remote preparation. And I think when I mean remote preparation for a difficult conversation, what I'm talking about is preparing the relationship, you know, and really what this is about is, um, the emotional bank account, the relational bank account between us and the people that we're trying to minister to or speak with, have a conversation with. Um, this is boiled language, I will admit. Stephen Covey was the first to make it really popular, but other social scientists have kind of brought this in. But it's this idea that you have a, an emotional bank account with every person that you have a relationship with. And just like a normal bank account, you make deposits and you make withdrawals. That's just kind of a natural thing in, in relationships. And so the deposit side are things like acts of kindness and compassion and generous service and empathy. And if you want to be somebody who has the ability, the collateral, the resources to, you know, navigate into difficult conversations, then we have to make a daily commitment of making positive deposits into the emotional bank account, the relationships that we have. You know, on the flip side, the withdrawals are things like little acts of kindness, little acts of being curt or cold or having a judgmental thought, um, lacking empathy, all those things. So, you know, your, the, the emotional bank account is always going up or going down. And again, remember, like what makes things difficult in a conversation is subject matter, but it's also the bond of connection. And so this is speaking directly to that. Um, and the reality is you can't cram this. You can't anticipate having a difficult conversation. And then for the next hour leading up to that conversation, you're gonna be really nice to this person. That's not how the emotional bank account works. It is a daily, it's a daily commitment. So that's, I think, very important is that the remote preparation, the relational preparation is just making deposits. I've got two others, but maybe I'll pause and see if there's other thoughts that Eric and Emmy you have, or maybe another question related to that. There's still two phases. Yeah, I love what you're saying about emotional deposits and uh, something that um, I experience regularly with these, uh, these deposits is that I, I almost undervalue um, like some of those withdrawals and overvalue mm -hmm. um, deposits mm -hmm. where yeah. I think that if I did something small, like a small act of kindness, that it's actually a bigger deposit within our relationship. Or if I do something small, that it like that it didn't actually hurt the relationship. So um, that's something that I, I'd probably have a blind spot to. Any thoughts mm -hmm. to, to, to how you might observe and understand how that might play out? Yeah, I mean, that's, first of all, very good to, to recognize. I think that we can all have blind spots for sure. I think another way that we might operate with some awareness is that 
an act of kindness to one person may be perceived as very generous and heroic even. Mm -hmm. Um, But the same act of kindness to another person, they may not receive it like that at all. And this kind of goes back. I mean, Eric, you and I have talked about that wonderful book, um, Love Languages um, by Richard Chapman, I think is his name. Anyways, but it's just understanding that in order to really make deposits that land as acts of love to other people, we have to know what people, how they receive love and what matters to them. You know, getting to know them, really understanding the people that we're in relationship with so that um, we can make the right deposits and understand the impact of the withdrawals. I think both of those are, both of those are important. Yeah. Yeah. Should I go on to the next one? Well, I'm thinking as well, then if Mm -hmm. we haven't, if if we're thinking about the conversations that we're about to have or are anticipating having, taking stock of the the relation, the emotional relationship, um, a strength that we have could already determine how far we're going to go with the conversation. Absolutely. Right. So, so what, what I hear is what, as well as that, if I don't go there with someone because I've realized that the relationship isn't there yet, I'm okay. Like I shouldn't feel guilty for not going there with, uh, in the next, the next time I see the individual and because my, my, my action is really now about emotional deposits, strengthen the relationship to the point where, um, it could in in a certain sense, match the importance of the conversation that you want to have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because the goal is not having difficult conversations. The goal is actually having fruitful conversations. Mm, Yeah. You know, that they would actually bear fruit, Mm -hmm. uh, desired outcome indeed. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it could be very much and it's habitual. I mean, we just need to become as missionary disciples. We need to. Mother Teresa said it best. She said evangelization is this. Be Jesus. Share Jesus. I think Mm -hmm. it's one of the best descriptions of evangelization I've ever heard. You know, the 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 witness of our life precedes the witness of our words. Um, now, one I will say, because this is typically missionary disciples are on this call, is that we can't confuse fear and prudence. Right. Like it could be that prudent prudentially we have made deposits. We've lived a life. We've you know sown the witness of, of life and all that into the hearts of the people that we're in relationship with. Oh, I need to delay a little bit longer. I need to delay a little bit longer. Mm. I need to delay a little bit longer. And that could just be fear, you know? And so I can't say who's operating at a fear and who's operating in prudence, but just something to be aware of that sometimes um, the most prudent thing is actually to take risk because you've already made massive deposits in the, in the emotional bank account. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do have One way you can oh, go mm. for it. Yeah. Amy. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I guess in this context um, we're, thinking about having difficult conversations with people that we already have relationships with, right? Because like, I think something that I was thinking about beforehand is what if it's someone that we encounter that we don't know so well, but are um, expressing very um, opposing views of the faith. So I don't, I don't like, that's where I guess in my head, like I couldn't see where the emotional bank account can come in. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, because yeah, there mm-hmm. will be times where, I mean, I had, I had a friend, this guy was amazing. He could mm. literally walk up to strangers and have an amazing, spiritually rich conversation. He just had a charism. Mm. Not all of us have that charism. <laughs> I wouldn't say that we do. But those conversations, it's like, you know, when, when they encounter us, if our desire is that they would encounter the Lord, and if that they can encounter him through the look of love that we have in our eyes, the open disposition that we have to them as a person, that we have a genuine sense that we are standing in front of a majestic creature 
loved, created, redeemed by God that just may not know him yet, that mm. goes a long way. Okay. You know, so I think there's there's acute ways that you can do it. And then there's the long term. And the long term is really the context of people that we have mm. relationships with. Okay. Okay. So I would say the second phase or the second part of preparation is is more the approximate preparation. And this is the preparation leading to any day or moment or conversation or meeting that could become difficult or crucial. And really what this is, is about preparing ourselves. And I think the most important thing that we do in this form of preparation is that we spend time immersed in the Holy Spirit. Um, and daily encounter with the Holy Spirit, who is the principal agent of evangelization. The daily encounter with the Holy Spirit that purifies our intentions. The daily encounter with the Holy Spirit that gives us a wisdom that is inaccessible by any, you know, through any self-help book or anything like that. It is immersing ourselves with humility um, in the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. And one of the reasons why I say this is because, you know, the church has taught that the Holy Spirit is the principal agent of evangelization, but trying to have difficult conversations, trying to really navigate them to honor God and love people without operating in the power of the Spirit is like owning a Ferrari without the engine, right? It is a pretty package, but there's no power. Mm. And the Spirit knows intimately the person with whom you're having this conversation the Holy Spirit has a power if we are immersed in him and consistently seeking him and, and, and in prayer and in study and all that. He has a power to communicate to us in ways that we can bless the person that we're speaking to, in ways that will nuance the way we introduce, you know, faith or religion or church or anything like that in a way that we wouldn't be able to do on ourselves. You know, there's, there's a reason why the Holy Spirit is a principal agent of evangelization. The catechism teaches that, you know, you, unless you humbly acknowledge that you don't know how to pray, you won't be able to receive freely the gift of prayer. So if you want to have navigate, if you want to be able to navigate conversations, humbly acknowledge that you don't have a clue <laughs> and that you need the Holy Spirit to animate you, to animate your heart. And that, that is a approximate preparation is just be continually immersed, um, in the Holy Spirit. I can't think of another better thing to do other than just soaking in, in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. You know, when the Scripture exhorts us to be filled in the Spirit, it's not referencing sacramental filling. It's not referencing baptism or confirmation. It's a consent continual um, verb. It's like seek every day to be filled with the Spirit. Seek every moment to be filled by the Spirit. So we need to be absolutely filled by the Holy Spirit through daily prayer, daily Scripture, daily study, all those things. And in doing so, we really prepare ourselves. I'm sure that right. makes sense. I'd love to get a little practical with that. Um, yeah. The questions for me is uh, that come to mind would be, how do I know that I have sufficiently filled <laughs> with the Holy Spirit so that I can engage in the conversation that I'd like to have or need to have or about are about to have? Because um, I don't want to, I guess, just check the box and say, I prayed and... Yeah. And I asked for the Holy Spirit, but then I'm still doubting a little bit whether I was filled by, by the Holy Spirit and that what my words are going to. Like, so any practical advice to, to yeah. that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I would say to people, because I know the folks that are on this call, you know, trying to live missionary life. We need to have daily prayer time. 
Now I say we need, that sounds strong, but the reality is we really do need to have daily prayer time. St. Catherine Doherty said, um, life is lived between two masses. I would say for most people, if you can't get to, to mass every day, life is lived between two prayer times. Hmm. If you miss a day, don't miss two, right? So just, you can evaluate how you're doing because I'm praying every day and you can actually objectively say, I prayed today, I prayed today, I prayed today. Hmm. It's not even the quality of the prayer because sometimes that can come and go. But it's that posture that we have of dependence on the Holy Spirit. I desperately need to pray every day. I've got mm. to a place in my life where everything falls apart very quickly, including my witness, my ability to navigate difficult conversations and everything else if I'm not praying. So objectively, we should be shooting for praying every day. Mm. In terms of the, the moment, I think one of the tests of the presence of the Spirit is the love you have in your heart. You know, And so when you're going into a difficult conversation, you know, are you in a place where all I want to do is be present to this person, listen and offer words, whatever God has? Or am I trying to prove a point or, you know, get a notch in my belt or any of those things? You know, it, the, the spirit's presence, I think, is recognized with the purity of intention that we have for those conversations. You know, do we have love animating us because it's a yeah. spirit of love, right? Yeah. So, and if you're, if your ambition, your desires for them is to encounter God, you know, and, and in a way that they would be blessed and receive that relationship as, as savior and all the rest, I think your heart is in the right place. You know, many things that we try to do for the sake of the gospel and loving people, our zeal for souls may fail, but the things we do in love will never fail because love doesn't fail. So being filled with the spirit, you know, usually it's, am I animated by the love of the gospel? Am I animated by the love that Jesus has for this person? Mm -hmm. So that's maybe good. that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Move on. There's one last one. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Go for it. Go for it. And you get there. I see comments coming in. I don't want to ignore them, but maybe I'll look at them when you guys are, are talking. Yeah. So uh, I guess the last one is just the immediate preparation. And this is really important, um, but it is third, I would say. But, you know, if if the remote preparation is about preparing the relationship through the deposits we make in the emotional bank account, and if proximate preparation is preparing ourselves by being filled with the Spirit and docile to Him, immersed in Him, every day in prayer and study and sacraments and all that, then the immediate preparation is really about preparing the environment preparing the environment that we're having like it's the environment of a difficult conversation and preparing that environment i think um really matters and i guess when i thought of this i thought of the parable of the soils that jesus taught you know a, a, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some seeds and they fell you know by the wayside and the birds of the air came and snatched them up some of the seeds fell in um rocky ground and they immediately sprouted up and then because they had no root they they didn't last some so seeds were falling among the thorns and the bushes choked them up and then some seed fell on good soil and it produced fruit and so what i want to say to this is that the immediate preparation is about tilling the soil of the environment that you're in like actually the physical environment the relational environment with the other person so that the soil is good and the seeds of our conversation can actually take root. And so to this, I would say things like um, active listening, empathetic listening, all of those things. I think the, mm -hmm. they, they offer a lot, mm -hmm. 
but unfortunately i find that a lot of the 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 training on these things begins with the premise that you have to kind of like put these things on it's like okay i'm going to attend attentively listen i'm going to empathically listen i'm going to look them in the eye and a lot of those things are good and the training's great but how about just genuine authenticity mm-hmm. like you don't have to pretend like you're listening if you're actually listening <laughs> you know you don't have to devise some kind of strategy for being empathetic if you actually have empathy and so this is really about sincerity coming through mm-hmm. Um, but that said, things like, you know, do not multitask. Like when you're amidst of entering into a navigating conversation, you know, difficult conversation, being fully present is an absolute huge thing that we need to be. And that doesn't mean just put your phone down and turn your computer off. It means quieting the chatter in your mind, too. Um, and most especially ch- quieting the desire to respond to what's just been said. You know, often, again, Covey said, we listen in order to respond, mm-hmm. not to actually understand. So when you authentically want to understand somebody, they can feel that. That is tilling the soil of the environment of the conversation, and it really matters. I would say creating a safe environment by your disposition, your openness, your warm eyes, your warm tone, all of those things are important. Because one of the things that really hinders uh, difficult conversation is the presence of fear. You know, because fear has a physiological impact on us, right? That's when when we have anxiety going through us, the amygdala, the primitive part of the brain actually gets activated and cortisol, the higher executive function of the brain, you know, starts spreading. So you got this double whammy and then pretty soon people aren't even in that conversation anymore. They're out the door because they're afraid of the environment. So Mm -hmm. just creating a safe place. And again, this has to be done authentically. You can't pretend to create a safe place if you're not safe to be with. It has to be about loving people and being present to them and their majesty and and all those things. Um, There's probably a bunch of other things, Eric, I'm sure. And I mean, you guys, (laughs) some of those practical things. But the third part is really creating the the right environment that the actual conversation is going to take place. Yeah, the experience that comes to mind that I think a lot of us uh, would have gone through recently was the the process of listening through this synod circles. And what I loved about the environment that was created was you were you were asked to uh, hear someone with what they're they wanted to to respond to a question, but you knew that you had permission to not respond like you you Mm -hmm. you were told just listen and then ask some questions, which is seeking to understand and then you could respond or like you knew that like when that structure was in place, then, you, you know, your your ability to listen without the, the internal chatter or the desire to want to respond has mm-hmm. been removed. So I think I, I hear as well how important it is for us to practice this skill in conversations that are less difficult. Uh, I think that that means, you know, so so that when we do come to 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 the occasion of a difficult conversation, we've learned the skill of of listening and not responding, seeking to understand first before anything else. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think uh, practice sounds so important in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope that that's one of the long lasting fruits of the synod is that ability to actually listen yeah. like that. You know, when when the Gospels speak about Jesus having authority, unlike the scribes and Pharisees, I think a lot of that has to do with his empathy and his understanding of people. I think people felt it's so ironic, like people ran away from those religious leaders, but they ran to Jesus. Why? 
because they felt valued, loved, appreciated in his presence. You know, they felt listened to, heard, understood. I just think that goes a long way in terms of having quote unquote authority or influence with people is the depth of our understanding of who they are and the perception of their understanding of who they are, you know, mm. like, anyways, I just think that that goes, that goes a long way. I guess the other thing I'd say to that, Eric, in terms of the Senate example and everything is that, you know, there's, I think sometimes what we do is we confuse hearing and listening. Oh, good one. Hearing is it's a physiological process, right? Where the sensation, it, it hits the auditory and goes to the brain and, you know, whatever. Whereas listening is much more of a psychological process. It's actually creating space where you are holding curiosity with what the people are saying, person is saying, rather than judging or interpreting it through the lens that you have, you know, with them in the box that you've created for them, that kind of thing. So there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Um, <laughs> parents know this because <laughs> both kids and parents have selective listening. You know, it's really, it's just hearing. But anyways, that's, I think, an important distinction because listening is a, well, I would put it in a certain sense for missionary disciples, listening is actually a moral obligation. I would put it that strongly to really listen, to understand somebody, I think is a moral obligation because nobody trusts a prescription if they don't trust the diagnosis and they mm -hmm. won't trust the diagnosis if you know you're you're not actually listening um and they sense that so anyways rambling no this is gold no uh, it's really good yeah i was just gonna say to our listeners because I, I um you might be thinking like when are we going to get to the nuts and bolts of the conversation <laughs> that, we're, that we're about to have and uh i think there's some wisdom here where like we've spent half of our time talking about preparation and, yeah. and that's, that's not, um, that's not because, you know, we wanted to, like, we, we, um, I guess we're mismanaging our time. It, it actually starts before the, like our navigating of difficult conversation definitely starts well before the, the, the opportunity for the conversation or, uh, or the conversation itself. Mm -hmm. it, it, like what you're sharing is, is really about, um, like strengthening relationship, uh, mm -hmm. strengthening our capacity uh, to, to listen. Now you, you, you touched on something where you said, uh, you know, we have to learn how to be like em empathetic. Yeah. So is that a skill and is that something that we can learn to, to grow? Hmm. That's a good question. And first the distinction em empathy is, is not the same as sympathy. Like empathy is feeling as someone, like as they are feeling where sympathy is feeling for someone. Right. And so that's an important distinction because we we don't want to like empathy allows you to fully understand somebody and be able to articulate that back to them so that they actually feel understood by you. And then you're actually free to disagree. Hmm. But if they don't understand or if they don't feel like they're understood by you and you say something contrary to them. Their fight is not with what you're proposing. Their fight is with the necessary need of being understood. Yeah. You know, like, here's the thing. We know in Proclaim that everybody's most fundamental need is mercy and forgiveness that is won to us by Jesus Christ on the cross. We know that fundamentally that is the greatest need of humanity is mercy and forgiveness. Be filled with the Spirit. Be in right relationship with God. But for most people, that is not a felt need. But for everybody that you lock eyes with, 
a felt need is to be understood. So if you want to do something to advance the gospel, make a habit of understanding well everybody in your life. Mm. Because here's the thing. You only come across four good listeners in your lifetime. Four good listeners. And I would say there's a direct correlation between the people that we have as influencers in our life and those four people that are good listeners. So if you want to do something to prepare for the proclamation of the gospel, Mm -hmm. listen and understand people. I I can't think of a better way to remotely prepare the relationships than really understanding people. Mm. So I think that's important, important to know. Yeah, I really appreciate how you talk a lot about foundation with Mm. relationship, because it makes sense to be able to understand that we're discussing these conversations with people that we care about. Like we wouldn't be discussing these topics if we didn't care about their their well-being, their souls. Um, And something that I really want to bring up is, okay, it's one of the questions that we talked about earlier is what, yeah. what do you do when people push back? Like what if you mm. did all the preparations that we talked about, remote preparation, proximate preparation, everything that we talked about, but still yeah. people are not comfortable or yeah. they're still pushing back. What do you do then? Yeah. I mean, again, we have to have a, a bit of a long-term view on this because if somebody, if somebody's pushing back, mm-hmm. it's, it's very likely that something is happening inside that person that's pushing back on this. So rather than speak louder or more Mm -hmm. articulately or whatever, why not pause the conversation, create a safe environment again and say, listen, I, I'm sensing that you're pushing back a little bit on the conversation. And the last thing I want to do is hurt or offend. But is there something that has happened in our conversation that is allowing you to like encouraging you to push back, I'd love to understand what that is, right? So automatically, it's not about progressing the conversation. It's about sowing seeds in somebody's heart. Mm. So do we have the capacity to just pause it and recognize the best thing I can do right now is to create a safe environment again and to reconnect with them in such a way that they know my hope is their best intention. So even just stopping to inquire with that. And then guess what? They're going to talk to you about something that will be like, wow, I never thought about that. That's really insightful. You know, so it, it does a lot for the for the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense, Emmy? It does. It does. It does. It does. Good. How do you? Okay. But like <laughs> even just that skill, though, of like being able to pause still like rattles my brain. Because how do you? I feel like that takes skill and discipline in order to do so. Because you'd have to recognize where the person is mm-hmm. while you're discussing with them. And yeah. how do you do that? Like, how do you yeah. practice that? Well, that's a really your sincerity, <laughs> Emmy, is coming through very clear. Thank you for <laughs> modeling sincerity of curiosity and all the rest. I mean, we're talking about something that is, I mean, there is there's psychological principles at play with what I'm saying. I would put that in the category of affective maturity. That is Mm. the ability to experience the emotion that you're experiencing, but stand outside of it. And in standing outside of it, operate with a wisdom that can actually navigate the conversation. Because the worst thing we can do when somebody pushes back is interpret that pushing back against us. Because we can't take offense. We don't own the gospel. We are not the gospel. Jesus is the Lord of the universe and the Lord of history, and it's all about him. And so something within that other person is meeting something in the conversation 
And I got to take myself out of it and be a catalyst of love and redemption and all those things and stand outside of it all and not take it personally and just put the focus back on that on that person. Here's the thing. And Eric, you 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 you've shared this, I'm sure, with hundreds of people. There's a, a growing maturity of navigating kind of charismatic or evangelizing conversations. And in the front end of our journey, when we first start having these conversations, a lot of our focus is on us. What am I going to say? How will I handle this? How am I going to feel? What are they going to think about me and all that? The second is second stage is to get outside of ourselves, but to focus all on the message. It's all about the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel. You're going to listen to what I'm going to have to say because you need to hear this message and all that. That's often what they push against. The third and the most mature response is I'm going to focus on this person that is loved, created, redeemed by Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring them a little bit closer to relationship with God. So we're, we're out of the equation. So if it's pushing back against us, we can take that. I'm going to just be present and meet this person's felt need in the moment to be understood. And then if they give me permission to take the conversation further, I'm going to take that permission and we're going to go a little further. Mm -hmm. But it's not about me. And it's not about a notch in the belt or anything like that. Hopefully that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The word permission comes to mind in, in the conversation. And I think that's part of how like empath, empathic listening is, is really important because the way in which they're responding and if they're pushing back demonstrates that they're not necessarily giving permission to go where you might want to go. Mm -hmm. And, and part of what um, I've, I've learned in some of these difficult conversations is to try to demonstrate that you understand that that's as far as we're going to go with that conversation and we're still friends mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. and the relationship is still intact. Like yeah. if, if you and I have differing converse, uh, differing opinions and it looks like you're, you're not willing to go where, where I'm, I'd love for us to go. No problem. Like mm -hmm. I still love you. I'm still right here. I'm still yeah. willing to engage in, you know, in our relationship. So yeah. it's, there's not a, there, I think there's a false dichotomy that that's at play where we, where we feel as though if, if we can't come to an agreement on a particular subject or um, an, an area that's um, where there's tension, we can no longer be friends or like we can no longer continue our, our relationship. And, and I think that's, if we can remove that out of our thinking and focus on the fact that we have someone in front of us that we can love, care for, model Jesus to, and, if and when, you know, as the Holy Spirit prompts it, the opportunity to like to proclaim comes about, then mm -hmm. we're prepared for it. But yeah. again, most most importantly, we're we're aiming to keep the relationship strong. Absolutely. You know, something just came to mind. I, I came across the meaning of the word to bear fruit. In the original language, to bear fruit meant to support the work already in progress. Which is an interesting distinction, because if we think in our pride and vanity that <laughs> the beginning of this person's spiritual journey is a conversation I'm going to have with them. Well, you're basically out to lunch <laughs> <laughs> because they have been the object of the father's eye from the moment they were conceived. Mm -hmm. Even in the womb, the heartbeat of their mother was communicating. I love you. And we come along. We have the privilege of coming alongside this person representing the Lord and the church and everything. And there's already a lot of work going on and we need to cooperate with that work that's going on. 
and not be ahead of it and not be behind it. Both of those would be an error. Um, but to think that, you know, we're the be all and the end all in this person's life. That's just, I don't know, not good. Mm-hmm. Hmm. A little prideful, I'd say, too, to kind of own yeah. that, yeah. you know, journey. Um, something I'm very curious about, and I feel like in terms of navigating difficult conversations, um, what, like, uh, how do you talk to someone that have felt hurt by the mm-hmm. church? Because I feel like that may come up. Yeah. Um, what do you do? Yeah. And unfortunately that has happened, um, many times. And I guess I would default really in a very acute and compassionate way. Um, all that we've already said, mm-hmm. that would involve a lot of listening. You know what, when people are hurt, what has happened in, 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 in situations, whether it's a sharp word that's been spoken to them or a judgment or heaven forbid, some form of abuse, that person has been fundamentally disempowered. That's what makes them a victim. Um, we do a lot by being present mm-hmm. and listening to empower them to say and share their story. And just being there and, and, and present goes a long way. Tell me your story. Mm. You know, I am so sorry that that happened to you. Um, now, of course, there could be situations where maybe somebody is incorrectly interpreting something that happened. I, like, that's not for us to even go there, because who knows. But in the moment with somebody who's been um, hurt, I think, you know, yeah. So there is a situation. I'll give you an example. Mm. Uh, right after things broke in Kamloops, there was an incident here in the pastoral center where um, uh, a young man uh, came to the building and really wanted to have a conversation with somebody. And we have safety protocols and all that. And so I ended up going out to greet this man, backed up by some people outside with me and some others because there's protocols. And the first thing I said to him was this. You look like a man who has something very important to say. And I said that because I meant it. Like when I was walking down the stairs, I'm like, what, what, what am I going to say? That's what I'm going to say. And then you just listen. Mm-hmm. That led to a series of phone calls that led to some agreement, disagreement that led to an actual relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't say that to boast, but I say it to meet people in the at, it, it, where they're at. It's mm-hmm. like just creating the space. Um, unfortunately, far too many people have tried to communicate their hurt and haven't felt heard. Mm. Disempowerment upon disempowerment upon disempowerment. So empowering people to share their story. Um, it's a way that we stand in the gap. It's a way that we get up on the cross of Jesus Christ and mm. unite heaven and earth. Really. It's metaphorically, it's a very powerful thing to do is to meet people. This is why I love the chosen. Because it's- <laughs> What's on flesh, you know, Jesus Christ. He's no longer in the stained glass and all the mm-hmm. beautiful forms of art. It's like there's such a, a personality to him. And so much of what we see in that film is just being present to people, you know. And, and yeah, so maybe that's too much on that. But that's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Can I ask another, like, how to navigate another practical situation that has come across um like my life a number of times. And it, it has to do with 
uh, family members that um, have been invited to um, like a, a relative's wedding where the wedding itself has a lot of complications to it, whether it's like a same sex um, situation or um, like a, a marriage that hasn't been annulled, divorce. Like there's a lot of different situations where families might be in this, this place where they love and care for the relative. The relative has invited them to this wedding and, and, and the, the individual themselves as a faithful disciple is wondering, how do I, how do I handle this and what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed mm -hmm. to have this conversation? Because I don't really know what my actions are communicating against what I believe and yeah. what you believe and the different yeah. opinions. So that would be a very specific. Also to our viewers, this is fully unscripted. <laughs> so I'm asking this question. And <laughs> yes, right, it is. Yeah, I'm feeling that right now. It came to mind because it's, it's a place where like real relationships, real situations occur in a regular on a regular basis. And then it's going to jump sort of springboard into a into a question that we do have. That's, that's a little bit more pre prepared. Yeah. 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 Oh man. It, it, I mean, that's a great question, Eric. And I too have had that experience and many people have asked me about their experience and all the rest of it. And here's the thing. I'm sure whatever I say right about now, 50% of the people are going to disagree with it. They're going to agree with it. So be it. Um, but this is what I know about the scriptures. Um, and I'm saying this to an audience uh, of missionary disciples who acknowledge that sin is an objective thing. You can call certain things a sin, and especially in your own life, judging your own heart. And, and so just putting that objectivity out. But the one who can call sin a sin, most of all, that ever took on human flesh was Jesus Christ. He has the most acute awareness of what is right and what is wrong. He has the most moral authority on which to stand when he says this is right and this is wrong. And that same all holy man, God, the true God, true God, true man, was also known as a friend of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. In other words, he spent time with them. He was seen as friends with all those folks. Hmm. So you can take whatever issue you want to take, LGBTQ, people that have had abortion, this, that, and the other thing. And I guess there has to be a way that we can be in relationship with those people as Jesus was with all of those individuals and yet still objectively know that there are things that are sinful. That is an art. That is not a science. I can't apply that, you know, with exact precision to every situation. I don't know how to do that. I'm not smart enough, not experienced enough, whatever. All I know is that that tension mm -hmm. is the tension that Jesus himself lived and we are called to live it. And it's getting more and more difficult to do so because there's just so many issues um, at play. So that's all that I can say on that. Yeah, perhaps part of the preparation in having these conversations and responding could be to reflect on uh, looking at that situation first with relationship in mind, and then of course the specific situation and to yeah. see it from two different lenses. And Brett, you and I had a quick chat about this, like first lens to look at it would be from the charismatic lens. You know, will the conversation or the action that I'm about to take on, you know, help form the relationship and the witness of life and the invitation to consider relationship with Jesus in this situation, right? The yeah. other lens that we could look at would be the moral lens, right? Is mm -hmm. Is the action that I'm about to take or the conversation I'm about to have, 
um, one where I have moral authority to speak into this person's life. Because if we don't have the moral authority in the relationship, then, of course, it's it's going to fall on deaf ears and we might actually do more harm than good. So yeah. um, that could be another way to look at it. So it's not to say that one is better than the other, but it, it is to say that in our preparation, we can approach how we see it in those ways and then take that to the Holy Spirit and just say, I'm just going to hand it all over to you and you're going to yeah. tell me what to do because if... if uh, because then I, I can I can just follow your prompting. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. true. And these are so, and I know the burden that people have in these you know areas. It's so hard. It really, it really, really is. There's something that popped in my mind. It's a it's a line by um, Chesterton. It's a scandalous thing to think about, but it came to mind when he says, "Every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is searching for God." Mm. Right. And there's religious people that would listen to that and say, how dare you put God in the same sentence as brothel? But it's like it's just such a deep understanding of the human person that we have this literally insatiable desire inside of us. And when we don't have God, it's just so easy to take that desire all over the place. But God is a satisfaction of that desire. You know, he is the fulfillment of all desire and telling people you know, that they're sinful and they shouldn't do this. I don't see that awakening desire or redirecting in any way. Hmm. Living in a way that you're living as a person who has met the deepest satisfaction of those desires, that goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And then when they ask, how is it that you seem so at peace and grounded and satisfied with life? Uh, let me tell you about my friend Jesus, you know, um, Anyway, so it's just to say human beings are complex creatures. <laughs> There's so much. All of us are made of, of, of mm -hmm. wheat. You know, another thing, maybe we're belaboring this one, but it's so important, right? Because these are like real realities in our lives. But and this will get controversial. Maybe we'll see it light up the comments. But um, Pope Francis got into hot trouble when he, on that first plane ride with the press, right? And he said that famous thing, who am I to judge? Mm -hmm. And uh, what's interesting about that is that people take what he said often out of context, because right before he said, who am I to judge? What he actually said was in reference to it was gay marriage at the time. But if he, he said, if someone is sincerely seeking God, who am I to judge? Mm. And here's the thing. And this is why, again, you, we have to be able to stand objectively looking at things as sinful but also understand the, the complex nature of, of human beings and, and, and navigate that because all of us are a mixture of seeking God sincerely and caught up in things that we shouldn't be caught up in or doing or saying or thinking things that we shouldn't be doing, saying, and thinking. No human being is, is void of that struggle. We all have it. It just manifests in different ways. I'm not in any way saying that we shouldn't call out sin is sin, but I have my own stuff I'm dealing with, as we all do. Um, so learning how to be present in that way, that's why I think, again, go back to Jesus. He was the only one that could actually stand on the moral authority and say, you shouldn't be doing that. And yet he was known to be friend of, of sinners and tax collectors. That's, that's just the beautiful way to live life. Yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm.
I'm going to pull a, a question from one of the comments. Um, hopefully I get this because I'll, I'll sort of ask the question in, 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 in my words. But um, let's say you've had a difficult conversation and it didn't go well and there was mm -hmm. a bit of a fallout, right? Yeah. So, of course, we can state our intention and want to make sure that we, you know, you're still my friend if we, if we're, you know, this doesn't go where it needs to go. But they might also not see it that way and, you know, I, I either distance themselves or the, the conversation just completely went you know, in a different place, and there was a relational fallout. So mm -hmm. the question is, any advice on how to start kind of re, re repairing that relationship, making amends, bringing it forward to allow for a smoother transition to a restored relationship? Yeah. Well, I guess the first thing is, uh, and it's always tough to kind of speak into something when you don't know the specifics, I better recreate this kind of um, just example or fictional example but the first thing we always have to do and I, I we have to test our own heart like did we actually do something or say something that we need to own up to and sometimes we operate with blind spots so depend like if i've got a good relationship with somebody and we have a falling out because of a conversation i want to go to that person and i want to sit and listen to them and see if there was something i actually did or said that hurt them you know sometimes it could be that they thought I said something that I didn't actually say, but if I am responsible for something, then, you know, before you bring your altar to God, go and be reconciled with your brother. I need to own that. And so it could be like, look, that conversation didn't end well. And I don't want to be in a bad relationship. And if I've done anything that said or hurt you, um, please let me know. Cause I, I would want to reconcile. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. We we somehow have this weird notion that when we apologize, it's like we lose influence or, you know, whatever. That's the exact opposite of what actually happens. When you sincerely want to reconcile, you're increasing the strength of that relationship. You're not actually hacking away at anything. Uh, now, it could be <laughs> that they are hurt by something that you didn't say or maybe that you said, but you would say again. That's that's more complicated. Because mm -hmm. um, I would not recommend apologizing for things you didn't do, but at the same time, taking the initiative and going back to that person because you don't want to be in disordered or unright relationships. That's just not, it's not, it's, I don't know how else to say it. It's not right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we need to be in right relationships. So owning that and having them help inform you, because we all have blind spots, we might be completely blind to something we did or said. Um, would be an important step, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll encourage any of our user, uh, our listeners, if you've got any additional questions to throw it into our chat, we'd love to see if we can uh, respond to them. Emmy, you might have a couple questions you want to do. Yeah, I can see I have it. Many questions. In your eyes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do have. Okay, something that I that's like racking my brain in terms of like, okay, let's look at us practically, having difficult conversations, um, talking about the church, talking about Jesus. What if I don't know what to say or like how to say it? Like I can hear the whole like, listen to the Holy Spirit, listen yeah. to His prompting. What does that mean? Like, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I mean, there's nothing wrong with finding out what others have asked or said. Okay. And bringing that into the conversation like i think one of the best communicators of the gospel in our day and age is father john ricardo mm, i think mm -hmm. the way that he has presented the gospel through his rescue project and just the way that he's doing it is brilliant 
So learning from the great quote unquote evangelists is really, is really good. <laughs> and one of the things he likes to ask is, tell me how you see the world. Like talk about a wonderful open-ended question, just giving permission to, you know, see it. Cause that's going to reciprocate usually. Well, how do you see the world? Well, thanks for asking. I see the world as a place that is full of truth and beauty and horror. Horror? What do you mean? Well, there's sin, you know, whatever. Like, but what I'm saying is that there are there are people who have, you know, kind of mastered this. And Father John Ricardo is, is a great one. Um, if we're afraid of what we're saying, you can ask questions like, what's your idea of faith in the world today? Mm -hmm. Or what, what do you think is the place of religion in culture? Just as a starting point. Right. And see where that goes. But asking again sincerely is really important. So come up with questions that you would want to actually ask people and then mm. just ask them. You know, think about it. I think that one's a really neat one. What do you think of the role of religion in the world? You know, um, what do you think about uh, the place Christianity has in in uh, in Canada? Mm -hmm. You know, whatever, things like that. <laughs> something sorry there's so many things happening in the brain um i guess like okay thank you for that that was really good i was just yeah. listening and taking in what you had to say sure. um i guess this may be practical for those that are like in school or working in a place that's not uh, like a faith-based environment um huh. I've encountered something recently where um it feels like because we're catholic we're going against the grain everyone else is <laughs> seems to be opposed to it mm. and like even just bringing up the topic of religion can feel like hot waters because I don't feel the same way as you do like I have transgender friends at school people that mm. are practicing the LGBT lifestyle and it just feels like if you're not with me if they're not if I'm not with them I'm against them kind of situation and it's just like yeah. hard to even like pronouns and even all these things oh, like it's it's so difficult to live authentically I mean how do I respect them, but also staying true to what I believe and not backing down just for the sake of like peer pressure and all these things. And it's just, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Emmy, I, I hear you. It, it is hard. And we talked about how, you know, mm -hmm. things have changed so very much. Um, I really do think that um, We've, we're, we're, I think there's been a, a pretty significant shift. George Weigel is the first that I heard this speak this, and that was probably 15 years ago, but I would say it's more applicable even today, is that is that the, the primary witness that the church used to give um, kind of was a, an apologetic. It was a, a rational reason for belief. Um, but that goes well when Christendom exists and there's a general kind of sympathetic understanding for the role of the church and it just needs to be well understood. You know, mm -hmm. we just need to catechize and explain the faith so that people understand it. Things have shifted so much. The primary witness for us today is the witness of life. It is the age of testimony, of living out in front. Pope Paul VI wrote prophetically years ago, 1975, that when we live that, that, that that life that that christ following life we and we do it heroically and radically that it will stir within people questions about why what's the motive what's behind the way that you act and here's the thing part of that means communicating a profound level of acceptance to people that we vehemently disagree with on issues 
that's that's the hard thing how do you do that you know because what we often fear is that we're communicating acceptance of something that we know is not acceptable but it's like jesus would communicate his personal acceptance personal love um did we lose emmy beyond I'll just keep talking. Go for it. <laughs> yes. It's like, you know, we he he was constantly in it. Jesus is the best evangelist ever, of course. And so he was constantly in this tension of communicating acceptance for people personally, even when he didn't necessarily agree with everything they thought or said or taught or did. Right. So that's it, Emmy. That's the answer. <laughs> you, you cut out when she when he gave the full answer and uh and we're out of time <laughs> <laughs> and that's all yeah can you hear us emmy you with us are you still there yeah i think she's just having some technical difficulties uh yeah. I'll, I'll make reference back to that um that quote from pope paul the sixth because I, I think when uh when he was speaking about the stirring up of the questions of the people who are um who are seeing our witness of life i i'd probably also add in that uh, they're already asking the questions of us. And it really depends mm -hmm. on the tone in which they're asking. Like they could be yeah. already asking, like, why do they live that way with, you know, discontent and disagreement. And our hope is that through our authentic witness of life and our relationship, that we could change the tone of that question to a genuine curiosity that could fulfill mm -hmm. something in their own life that they're experiencing that they you know, that they, they might be, you know, desiring, which ultimately can only be fulfilled in Jesus. So, Amen. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we are at time and yeah. I'm sure we could probably talk for hours on this. <laughs> I know we've really only scratched the surface. So what I'm going to say first to our listeners, one, thank you so much for coming and, and spending time with us. And if you have further questions or insights or, or anything, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we've got we've got a number of ways you can do that. One, you could send us a DM through Instagram or through YouTube or through uh, Facebook. Like, I don't even know if that's a real thing. Uh, I just kind of said it, but find a way to get it, reach <laughs> us. And you can also reach us at hello at we are proclaim.com. That yes, might be the right. easiest way via email. Yes. So I'm jumping in. Um, the other thing to say is that uh, we're going to continue these kinds of conversations to help navigate difficult conversations. Because I, I know there's a lot more that we can talk about. Uh, there's um, some quick tips, some ways in which we can form some training, some preparations. So uh, please stay tuned because we will have more to say on this situation, on this topic, because we know it's something that you've asked for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Any last words from you, Emmy or Brett, before I wrap it up? Thank yeah. you. It was, it was great to be here. Great to have a conversation. Really flew by. Hopefully I wasn't talking too much, but there you go. Well, there you go. So that was not a difficult conversation with Brett Powell. I hope that, that was fruitful and uh, that blessed each and every one of you. Thank you again for taking the time to spend an hour with us on your day. I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll wrap it up there. God bless you. <laughs>